The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. Get the inside track on 20 top business trends for 2020 from Joe Block. Joel's insights bring Wall Street to your street so you can profit from the inside in 2020. Just text the word TREND to 7200. That's 72000 and download your free copy today. Grab your phone and get the inside track on business trends that affect you and your business. Just text the word TREND to 72000 for your copy now. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. How often do you wonder which technologies are going to stick and change our future? I wonder this all the time, and I go to certain people for the answers. One of those, Mark Roderick. Mark's with us here today. Mark, how are you? Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Joel. You and I don't get to see one another very often, but it's very enjoyable, at least for me, when when I do. God, you know, I'll tell you, we've had some fun times. I wish that we could be together more often here, uh, you know, because you're on the other side of the country. But uh, first, let me let me tell our audience that uh, you're an attorney and, and attorneys, you're not a technologist, but you have a different kind of perspective on technology because you do a lot of technology type deals from a capital raising perspective. Uh, what are you seeing in the marketplace uh, that that we need to kind of be aware of? And we'll take a deep dive after you know you kind of make a couple of opening remarks. Well, as far as technology goes, Joel, I could give you a whole here. Let's spend the next thirty minutes with me just answering that that one question. Okay. Um, so my view of technology, just first on this sort of small bore, I, I do think that um, blockchain, which at this point, everyone has heard about uh, is an important technology, but we can we can talk about that more as, as as I'm sure we will. The Internet, have you ever heard of that? The Internet is an incredibly important technology that and of course, that sounds stupid because it's come so far. But the Internet has a long way to go. You know, we're going to be using the Internet for more and more pieces of our lives, if that seems possible. I, I believe, as you know, I spend a lot of my time in crowdfunding and crowdfunding is just using the Internet to do one more thing, which happens to be raising capital. So I think I think it is the future of of capital raising. And I, I just think the Internet, as far as it's come, has uh, a long way more to go. Obviously, artificial intelligence and and at that point, we get into, I think, creepy stuff. I think surveillance technology 
in its various forms, unfortunately, <laughs> is going to become a bigger and bigger part of our our lives. I mean, in some ways, it's good. You know, we catch the bad guys, but you know, if you live in China today, um, and in some ways, Great Britain, you know, Great Britain, I think, is the most videoed country on on Earth. You know, if if you're in London, you are under video surveillance all the time, and now they're able to connect all the cameras, you know, all the different cameras, so they can track you. But using facial recognition, which is now being used, you know, on at least a small scale by law enforcement at at public events and so forth, Uh, surveillance technology, it's probably, you could probably make a lot of money in surveillance technology. But from a citizen's point of view, it, it is, it's creepy. That's what I think. Well, so, so let me ask you, so, you know, so here's the thing. So you're an attorney that uh, helps people raise money, organize their affairs so that companies can raise money. So uh, you're about as close to venture capital in some of these deals. So you see deals at the very earliest stages when entrepreneurs bring them to you. What are you seeing? Are you seeing things built on blockchain? Are you seeing these surveillance deals? What What's coming across your desk? Mm. Well, all kinds of things, and you never know, you know, what what's going to be the winner. You know, the number of blockchain projects, as you know, if you saw a graph, I'm going to try to do it from your perspective, you know, it went from zero to up to here, and then has now come down here. The, the number of projects has decreased dramatically, but I do think that blockchain is going to be a pervasive technology. On the other hand, in terms of you know uh, making money from it, as Warren Buffett has pointed out, if you take a couple of reasonably significant technologies from the 20th century, automobiles and airplanes, right? Pretty big industries. If you had invested $10,000 in every car company and every airplane company, you would have lost money because <laughs> most of them don't work. So very difficult to pick winners, but blockchain technology, super, super important. In 20 years, everything we do is going to be on the blockchain. And the thing is, however, you won't notice, right? Um, I, my own view, which I I say only a little tongue in cheek to make the hardcore enthusiasts angry with me, but I I say that blockchain (laughs) is about as important as spreadsheets. And that makes the hardcore folks angry because spreadsheets seem so boring, but it's actually true. Spreadsheets are a pervasive technology, right? They're super important. We didn't used to have them back when I was a young man in the 1840s. We didn't, <laughs> we didn't have spreadsheets. Now you can't imagine life without them. And yet, do you ever think about it? Listen, you know, it's, it's sort of like, uh, you know, the internet, you know, it's like, we're on the internet right now. We We're don't think about right it. Now. Right. Uh, blockchain is it's one of it's the same thing. It's like you don't think about roads. You need to have roads, but you know, the internet is a road, blockchain is going to be kind of like paint on the road. It's just it's just a thing that just is uh, it's not exactly going to be one of those fun deals. It'll be a, a necessary and important thing, but we're not, for example, gonna have a stock exchange just for companies that use blockchain, as some of the more enthusiastic folks have envisioned. 
just as we don't have a separate uh, stock exchange for companies that use, you know, Microsoft Excel rather than Lotus One Two Three, if that even still exists. So it's <laughs> going to become become pervasive. It's going to save everyone a little money, and along the way, some people are going to make a lot of money. Um, but you know, I just read today actually that Microsoft is offering a pre-developed token, right? So up to this point, all these companies develop different tokens. Well, now you can just go to Microsoft and get a well, token. Hold on, hold on. What, what, what is a token? Let, let's just, let's help the audience to understand how it applies to them. So what is a token? Is, is, well, is money a token? The only, the only thing is, Joel, if we help the audience understand, they won't think we're as smart as they might otherwise. Uh, well, I think they might think we're smarter if we actually help a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> they have to think there's some magic to it, and there's let me, no let me magic. Tell you, no matter what you tell them, it, it is magic. They'll they'll get that. <laughs> okay. But what's so a what token? Is, what is a token? Hmm. Think of a token. This is my simplest explanation of of what a token is. If you are building a chain of movie theaters, right? To get into the theater, what do you use? You use a little blue ticket a little blue paper ticket. A token is nothing more than a little blue paper ticket. So is it, is it, a, it's, it's something you buy with money? You can, can you buy little blue paper tickets with money? Yes. Can you have them gifted to you? Yes. And the only difference is, you know, the blue ticket gets you into the movie theater. The token gets you sort of access to some electronic system. That's, that's all it is. Tokens are just little blue movie tickets. But you can imagine a world where we decided that those little blue tickets are currency now. You know, they're worth $3.50 each. So we could say, you know, I'll give you 3,000 tickets if you give me your car, <laughs> right? We could use little blue tickets to buy stuff. And, and that is, again, with due respect to the hardcore enthusiasts, Little blue tickets are the best metaphor for what blockchain tokens are. And so what Microsoft has done, it's just created a generic token that now every company building any kind of an electronic system, instead of manufacturing their own little blue tickets, they can use a Microsoft little blue ticket. All right, so what's the difference between this in cryptocurrency, because it sounds uh, like it's kind of like a like a form of a currency on a certain way. I mean, you're you're buying like a little prepaid card. And the answer, I hate to say this and disclose the big secret, is there is no difference. So Bitcoin is just one kind of little blue ticket. All right. Now that it was created to serve no purpose other than to be a blue ticket that could be traded. Other kinds of tokens have other functionality. For example, you could create a token that uh, allows you to play an electronic game, uh, a token that allows you to get your electric car recharged. And they would all have certain electronic characteristics to serve the specific purpose. The Bitcoin blue ticket was only created to be traded. Okay, but otherwise... It is just a blue ticket, just like all the other blue tickets or green tickets or, or pink tickets. It's just one more thing, one more kind of ticket 
that you can keep track of in this big, what we call a distributed ledger database called blockchain. I just need to get a couple of basics under control. Then we'll talk about some, some other things. But why are there so many different companies creating these cryptocurrencies? I mean, how many cryptocurrencies or blue ticket companies do we need? I mean, I mean, they're just it seems like there's just an unlimited number of these companies trying to create these. Well, I mean, that you're, you're right. But just going back to the Warren Buffett metaphor, do you know how many companies credit to create automobiles? You know, lots of thousands. Um, you are absolutely right that we don't need very many kinds of of cryptocurrencies to little blue tickets that function only as currencies. So far, it's not clear we even need one, but it's, we certainly don't need more than two or three or a dozen or something. Um, now the non-currency little blue tickets or tokens. So if you're building this video game, you're creating your own token to work with your video game. If someone else is creating a different video game, they have a different token to work with with their video game. So in that respect, you can have as many, um, you know, to take the little blue ticket. There's hundreds and hundreds, thousands of movie theaters across the country. Conceivably, each one has a different color ticket to get in the different business. But those are what we call utility tokens, uh, tokens that have a functionality other than just being traded. Does that make any sense at all? No, it, it, may, it makes sense. I mean, there's, you know, I mean, so some of these are going to be used as currency. Some of these are just prepaid convenience items, yes. you know? Yeah. Um, and there's a big difference between being a currency, which is a, you know, a it's a federal or international kind of a thing attached to a country. And the others are just like prepaid gift cards. And and they're just easy to use. And, and I could see why they'd want to standardize. In the future, you won't want to have every movie theater having its own blue ticket. You're going to want to standardize somehow. The question is, if Microsoft creates this system, and they base, basically what they're doing is they're taking the bank out of the loop. So you buy all these uh, little, little uh, coupons. Who keeps the flow? Where's Where does the... Uh, where does the money actually go? How does the money actually end up somewhere? Well, if we're talking about the kind of ticket, as you call it, a prepaid gift card, okay? So, the um, again, going back to my movie theater metaphor. So, the, the company, you know, Joel Block and Sons decides to build a movie theater chain. You can raise money for the sake of simplicity in two different ways. You can go sell stock or limited liability company interest in the normal fashion, or you could sell prepaid movie tickets, right? You could say, listen, we don't have any theaters yet, but we'll sell you these tickets for $2 because in a couple of years, when we have 10 theaters, admit price of admission, we think will be $10. So you're little tickets going to appreciate and you can use it to get in our theater. So in that case, you sell those prepaid tickets as a form of financing and you use the money to answer your question to hire the contractors who have the bulldozers and the stonemasons. So it's just another way of financing an ordinary business. That's, that's where the money ends up. It's just building your business. That so ultimately sense? if Microsoft sells these tokens, 
Uh, Microsoft's going to end up with a bunch of money in a bank account. Well, no, Microsoft's not selling the tokens. Microsoft is licensing its token technology to Joel Block. Oh, so, so I can that, use it for whatever So that I you want. can use it. Yes, I see. It, exactly. So it's actually very similar, and I have been predicting this was going to happen. I thought it was going to be Amazon. Because if you think about what Amazon did with Amazon Web Services, right, which started, no one had thought of that idea, and suddenly Jeff Bezos thought of it, and now it's a multi, many multi-billion dollar year business. They said, hey, we'll rent you pieces of our internet or our storage. And so that's kind of what Microsoft's doing here. They're saying, listen, we've developed the token technology. You license it from it, and then you can go sell it to investors to build your movie theaters. Yeah, there have been, listen, there have been uh, service bureau concepts and uh, other kinds of things for, you know, forever. So it's just a good extension of the same concept. It is. I mean, Microsoft is in the software licensing business, right? You, when, as soon as you get off here, well, I know I'm going to walk back to my office and use Microsoft Office 365. And so are you. And so they're licensing that technology to us. There's no reason why they wouldn't license blockchain technology to us. Yeah. For you know, one of the, the things that I, I, I talk about is that Microsoft used to be in the software sales business and they're not in that business anymore. They've gone into the software rental business and yes. rent, licensing, renting, same kind of thing. And they just, uh, you know, now they're making a lot more money and their stock price is better. It's one of the inside uh, insights that uh, we share in our trend report. And, and we just talk about this sort of thing that uh, these are the kind of things that companies need to be doing. So how do companies, these middle-sized companies that we address, how do these companies take advantage of these technologies? How do they know which token to, to put their hat on? How do they know which company to bet on that's not going to be out of business in, uh, in two months? I mean, one of the things that's so disturbing is that companies come and go so fast and they're being gobbled up by other companies. How, how do companies know how to move forward? In terms of choosing technologies? Yes. Um, well, and I, I, I'm going to try to answer that question to the best of, of my <laughs> not terribly significant ability. But I, I would love to hear your perspective on how Microsoft did this, what do you, what do you call them, this shift, this whatever. It's just, to me, an unbelievable business story. I'd, I'd love to hear your take on it. But sure. To to me, I, I'm starting a business right now. I, I'm starting a brand new law firm. And so I'm going through the choices that your listeners go through every day. And how do I pick which document management technology to use? How do I pick which client management system? And to me, the answer is the newest guy with the newest technology who is already established. <laughs> so I, I've made the mistake of the, the two mistakes are just choosing the old established company. And it turns out their code was written in 1962, you know, and the brand new super cool technology that goes out of business next year. So I, my, my own view in choosing technology, go with the new guy who has the really cool new technology, but don't be the first customer. That, that's my view. That's, that's something that I didn't, I didn't expect that. I mean, I mean, listen, although on the one hand, I know you deal with a, a lot of early stage companies, but, you know, I'm always an early adopter. In fact, I just, uh, 
have been using this this product for about a year and a half. It's a, a voice recording transcription product, and and the company was just bought, and they're going to repurpose it to a different use. And now my ability to use it is over because I don't want <laughs> I don't want to go with their use. And you know, and, and I have become addicted to this. Uh, it's it's a it's a transcription. It, it it's an AI product. It records my calls. It it creates a word cloud. I mean, it's this incredible service. But you know, they compete with Zoom, and if you use it on Zoom, they don't want you to use it anymore. So they're just they they've kind of moved in a different direction, and it's really I'm really bummed about it. I mean, they hooked me hook line and sinker, and now I can't use it anymore. So I'm I'm kind of bummed about it. But uh, that's the downside of going with these newer companies is that they're building to sell, and you don't know where it's going to end up. And things change so quickly, man. I mean, so as as a lawyer, right, I write all the PPMs, the disclosure documents. And so I always have to write, you know, technology is a double-edged sword by, by inventing. So this happens all the time. Someone invents a new technology. We do the PPM. It's super duper. Everyone's going to buy this. Six months later, someone else... <laughs> <laughs> creates an even newer technology that's the the of course in it's it's a truism by now but the rate of change in our society is just it's inhumane and and so at a prosaic level of choosing technology i just have been burned with that kind of story too many times so i want someone who's established you know yeah, well listen but so not too established the thing is that these companies uh, you know you're talking about let's say creating a hypothetical new law firm you got to pick a document management system that's fine but let's say you're an established company and you've got 250 people working there and you got all this other stuff and you're making a major decision and you're going to spend millions of dollars for some kind of an installation of a computer system or something else uh, you know, you you got to go with who's going to be there for sure. And it's very difficult to know. It is extremely difficult. But, you know, I, my experience, uh, I don't know whether your experience, businesses get tied in, you know, to their legacy systems. That's they, you know, it's easy to count the money that you're spending on a new system. But the money that you're wasting keeping your old system is just the do, you know dollars are fungible um, but they're invisible and so for example the law firm where I am now not not don't have a negative word to say about it but you know our legacy technology costs us money every day um, uh, but we don't take that money into account most businesses don't take it into account when we're looking at at new technology, we only take into account the cost of the of the new technology. So, and I'll I'll tell you, uh, as somebody who comes from the uh, accounting uh, world originally in my career, that's because accountants don't keep track of anything that isn't a hard cost. They yes. really can't keep track of anything that's not real. So, for example, uh, they don't keep track of lost sales. They don't keep track of wasted time. They don't, you know, or, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yep. Exactly what you're saying. Uh, because they don't keep track of it, businesses don't really know what the reality of it is. Maybe an AI solution at some point in time will be able to figure this out. But the truth is, we don't know. I was listening to a podcast last night, and they're talking about the uh, cost of taking credit cards. And they're saying, don't think for a second that it costs less to take cash. 
And they had all these different reasons why taking cash was very expensive, not the least of which is shrinkage. Uh, it costs money for a Brinks truck to come pick the cash up and move it around. Uh, the consumer doesn't really see that cost per se, but the business does. Uh, they do see certain costs, like the cost to go to an ATM and certain things. But shrinkage is a and the time you spend counting the money. I mean, those are real things that don't happen in the digital world. And, and so there's a lot of things that are invisible that we just can't keep track of. And that's that's a good point. Thank well, you. it is true in in general that, you know, it, we tend to ignore anything that can't be counted. And and that is really all in many in many areas. That is a real failing. But of course, we can't quantify it. So it's hard to talk about it. Well, we probably could, but accountants don't have systems for it. So that's that's kind of it. These technologies are fascinating. And, you know, you help companies raise money for technologies. Let's talk about raising, raising capital. Um, you know, the traditional means of raising capital, the private placement mechanism, that might apply to some of these larger size companies. What really might apply, do you think that the uh, Reg A Plus deals apply to some of these companies who want to have an easy entree into going public? Um, y- yes. I, and I say that you can tell with just a little hesitation in my voice. The... Uh, the reggae market has proven to be a little bit a safe that has been a little tougher to crack than people imagined when it became legal back in 2015. So, and and let me say that reggae plus, here's a, I do a lot of panels and stuff, and I'll ask the question, is reggae plus a big private placement or a tiny public offering? And it's a trick question, of course, because it's both. It just depends on what world you're you're coming from. Are you a big company, big public offering person, or are you as an entrepreneur, private placement kind of person? Um, so far, um, I mean, there hasn't been a rush by big companies or even medium-sized companies. Has not been a rush to use Regulation A simply because the industry has not yet established a reliable distribution channel, right? And so theoretically, Regulation A is a terrific mini IPO. It, it's it's less expensive than a tradition, a full-blown IPO. It's faster than a full-blown IPO. The question is, who's going to buy the stock? And so far, in the absence of a reliable distribution channel, you know, there's just there's no outlet. There's no existing outlet. Well, that's that's why it's so much less expensive, though, is because you don't have the investment bankers that are that are doing the roadshow pushing your deal. Well, that's that's certainly true. <laughs> that's certainly one thing about it. Um, so, it, in the general matter, if I'm a hundred million dollar company or even a fifty million dollar company, should I use Regulation A? The, the gen, I would be cautious as a general rule. There are some companies that absolutely should use it. Companies that have cool products, sexy products, where you think you could probably invest, uh, interest your customers in your stock. Those companies should definitely, definitely look at it. In fact, they should definitely be, be using it because it is for that size company, a pretty inexpensive way to raise $50 million per year and to simultaneously be advertising 
your products or your service at the same time you're you're raising capital. Uh, but if you ju- it's just a normal non-sexy operating business, I would have to have a reason. You know why? Why are we yeah. using Regulation A? My experience is the same. It, these these affinity kind of deals where there's something exciting about it are the ones that are going to work. I keep seeing these real estate deals. I mean, they're they're boring. We're buying an apartment building. I mean, you know, they're they're just not going to garner any attention. It's not ever going viral. It's not going to get any press. It, there's nothing exciting about it. And those deals, in my experience, are the ones that have not worked. Yeah, I mean, it has been a, I've, as you know, probably the first time we met, Joel, and I was talking about crowdfunding, and I probably stood up at the lectern and said, crowdfunding is a marketing business, and I've been saying it ever since. Um, so Regulation A, obviously, being part one of the three flavors of crowdfunding, but it is about marketing. So I have been involved with, represented some fantastic Regulation A offerings that have completely flopped. And I have been involved in some other fantastic Regulation A offerings that have been spectacular successes. And the difference between them seemed to be marketing. You know, it's just getting people excited in one way or another, because real estate can also be exciting. You know, different kinds of real estate, helping disadvantaged people and so forth can be exciting. But what you're saying is correct. There has to be a story. There has to be a story that, yeah, people find interesting. We haven't yet reached the point where ordinary Americans, non-accredited investors, are viewing, you know, a Regulation A real estate investment trust as an a viable alternative investment. They're the, you know, the Fundrise family of REITs have done extremely well, and that is because, again, I think great marketing job by the Fundrise folks, but it, it certainly hasn't taken off yet, for sure. Yeah. Well, partly it's um, it, it's because securities are uh, are sold, not bought. And somebody has to sell it to them, and we don't have an investment banker or a firm or yep. a broker dealer that's pushing the securities. Uh, they're, not, they're not doing that function. So instead, you rely on Facebook and a bunch of email marketing and advertising, and it's 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 much more difficult than than people realize, but it is a viable alternative under some some circumstances are just made to order for this. Yeah, you know, and, and and I can I can I can spot them in a second. You probably can too uh, when these things happen. So it's well known. So want to give us any insight on any interesting things that you've seen? I mean, any anything new coming down the pike that you've seen in your practice that you can reveal? Uh, probably, but I can't think of any right now. Um, I think the big question, Joel, is when the next downturn comes. <laughs> and I want someone to tell me so I can make the appropriate investments. I, I realize I'm not answering your question, but I do a lot of work. Well, I do all my work in the in the crowdfunding space and a lot in the real estate crowdfunding space. And as you know, that, and you're a real estate guy. <laughs> The real estate market has been going up for more than 10 years. What the heck? What's, what's going to happen? Well, you know what? Uh, and, and cities have housing shortages. Yeah. See, because it's tied to employment. And employment is strong. And with a strong economy, strong employment, uh, we need more housing. Now, we probably need more lower-end housing than we have. Uh, and cities are getting overcrowded, and it keeps pushing prices higher. 
So there are fundamental reasons. I mean, what doesn't exist right now that caused the crash of 2007 and 8 was this really terrible subprime situation that was then being pushed into the public markets. That doesn't exist right now. So the likelihood of a crash on that basis, nobody sees it because it's not it's not there now. Are we due for a correction? Yeah, a correction is different, but they're not a crash. I mean, I don't think anybody expects that anytime soon stock market's doing well, the employment market's doing well, the real estate market's doing well. I mean, people are doing okay. I mean, it's, um, you know, and things are not overheated the way they were 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, we really, and I'll tell you something else, and this goes back, I know you're curious about this Microsoft thing, but the stock market is fundamentally different now than it was 10 years ago because it's based on a lot of, uh, a lot of better kinds of revenue streams. Wall Street said to these bigger companies that uh, we want you to get off the gig-to-gig transactional revenue and get on a subscription-based stuff, which is why Microsoft made this transition. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I mean they were they were they were told by Wall Street that if you guys do this sort of thing, that you know, that will reward you with a higher uh, price-to-earnings ratio. And what ended up happening is they launched the uh, the software. Uh-huh. Uh, in 2011, you know, 12, 13, 14, it was kind of minimal. They start hitting that inflection point in, uh, in like 14 and, and the stock, the, uh, the sales of office 365 start going up. They're doing now this recurring revenue and a lot of their money starts to become recurring revenue and their stock price ends up about 400% where the rest of the market's up 30% or so. So you tell me if it's a coincidence that it's related to their subscription, their conversion to subscription, which it absolutely was. It was a slow uh, deal at first, and they had a long horizon. But over a couple of years, they pushed it and pushed it, gave out a lot of free trials, and it worked out for them. And now a lot of other companies, you can't buy software from Adobe anymore. You can't buy yeah. uh, a lot of these products. I mean, I don't know on your credit card, but you know, for me, uh, 10 years ago, I had zero subscription auto-renew kind of deals on my credit card. Now I have 43 of them at the last count. I mean, wow. it, I, just think... Get Netflix. You got Hulu. Yeah, you, you're right. You know, you get. I, I don't know. You, and I'm not talking about like the utilities that, that runs your family. I'm just talking about all this extra stuff that you have that that we just all buy. Every time you want to buy something on your phone, I have this. I, I, every kind of software on my desk, you got to pay something for it. But you don't pay it one time like you used to. Twenty years ago, you bought it for fifty bucks and you owned it forever. Now it's fifty bucks every year. Yeah. That is absolutely true. And I mean, it makes life easy if you're a startup. For example, starting this new law firm, I don't have to buy anything. <laughs> you know, I just, you know, I just hit subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Well, you know, there's pros and cons. So instead of paying $10,000 uh, capital cost to buy the software, now maybe you pay $100 a seat, whatever. If you have a downturn in your business, you could lose the access to uh, to that software, and that, now you're really out of business. Yep. If you're a graphic designer, so you don't have to pay thousands of dollars to get the Photoshop software or whatever software you use. But if you have a bad couple of months and your credit card gets turned off or whatever happens to you, all of a sudden the tools of the trade are no longer available to you as you can't keep making your subscription payments. So uh, it's pro and con. You know, there's 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 two sides to the story here, and. Uh, you know, consumers just need to be aware of it. It's I'm not saying good or bad. It just consumers need to be aware that it, it it swings in both ways. Well, that sounds that sounds right to me. Um, you know, I think our economy is definitely geared 
toward startups, right? WeWork and all of its competitors um, and all these technology subscriptions. Now, these days, you can go out and start a business in a week. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's an, I mean, I'm kind of glad about that. I'm, I think startups are important and so they we've, provide. We've, we've reduced, we've reduced a lot of friction. So yes, hey, listen, Mark, thanks very much for, uh, for coming on the show, for sharing some thoughts and ideas. Um, this is the inside track on at least a little bit of how some of these technologies work and what's going to stick in the future. Uh, I'd like to get a technologist perspective too, because it's a different perspective and somebody that's probably drinking more of the Kool-Aid than you, you know, you're realistic. I'm rather realistic. Uh, you know, but optimistic, by the way, both of us are probably optimistic because working with, uh, you know, by having come myself come from, you know, dealing with that. But listen, man, thank you very much. And uh, we'll put your contact information in the show notes if anybody wants to reach out to you. And I just appreciate uh, you being my friend. Yeah, me too, Joel. And if I can just make one last editorial comment about the technology, this is the thing. We always, we human beings, whether it's airplane technology or radio or television or nuclear power or the internet or blockchain, we always think technology is going to save us. And it never does. And no, it, uh, it's it up to us, you know, to save ourselves. It just, it just enables us to do good or bad. We have to choose to do good. You so, are exactly right. Mark, thanks very much, man, for being on the show. Thank you. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a giant thanks to my podcast producer, David Wolf, and his team at Podcast and Radio Networks. Profit from the Inside simply wouldn't be what it is without David and his team. For more information or to learn how you can launch and produce your own podcast, reach out to podcastandradio.com. Get the inside track on 20 top business trends for 2020 from Joel Block. Joel's insights bring Wall Street to your street so you can profit from the inside in 2020. Just text the word TREND to 72000. That's 72000 and download your free copy today. Grab your phone and get the inside track on business trends that affect you and your business. Just text the word TREND to 72000 for your copy now. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.